Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is molecular oncologist at St. Jude's Research Hospital, Dr. Martine F. Roussel, Ph.D., She is a legendary female scientist whose half-century of research into childhood brain tumors has led to new avenues of treatments and therapies to maximize cures. A longtime advocate for women in science, Dr. Roussel was among several female scientists who were part of a Women in Cancer research article in Nature discussing gender equality in science and the work necessary to level the playing field. Elected to the National Academy of Sciences in 2019, she became the first ever woman scientist to receive the honor of having a portrait on display in the gallery of the Danny Thomas Research Center on the campus of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Welcome to the show, Dr. Roussel. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you very much for having me. I just have to share this with you. Before covid Literally, uh, probably three weeks before COVID, the last trip that I took with my partner, he and I went to Memphis. And uh, the last thing we saw probably in Memphis was the St. Jude's Research Hospital. So it's kind of uh, timely that you're now that we're being able to get out in the world that you're on the show. But uh, okay, so thank you. Yeah. Molecular oncologist, not everybody knows what that is. So just give us a brief description of what it is and what it, what that entails in terms of your work and your research at the hospital. Yeah, sure. So what that means is that uh, we use um, uh, a lot of um, molecular data, which are uh, DNA sequences or uh, RNA sequences, to try to understand um, the multiple diseases, in, in my case, in the last 15 years in brain tumors, and oncologists because I work on cancer. So I hope this you, answers your question. That does answer the question. And I certainly want to step back because I know you began your work, uh, you uh, went to Saint, came to St. June's in 1983 uh, because yeah. your husband, who was a physician, got a job there. Uh, and so mm-hmm. you came with him and you were his, you know, I guess one of the assistants. So, you know, you start out because we're going to talk about the difference, uh, you know, the opportunities for male and female uh, doctors mm-hmm. and re- researchers, really. So let's start with your story. I mean, you come here because of him. And yet now you've done outstanding work, obviously, on your own. So let's, can we go back to 1983 when you first got to St. Jude's? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. No, no, no. I was, uh, I mean, he and I were attracted to St. Jude because, you know, nobody pays for treatment, uh, which I think is quite remarkable. It's still true today. And I could not imagine having a silk child and having to worry about paying bills. So that was really a, a big uh, impetus for coming. So when we came, I'm six years younger than he is, um, and I was uh, at the time um, an associate, so-called associate um, uh, scientist. And then within a year, they, I was promoted to an assistant member. So it didn't really, you know, take a long time for me to be in the faculty. And then I worked. We worked together for 20 years um, until, interestingly, when I turned 50, I decided that I was going to. Uh, do my research on my own. And this is when, actually, I started to work in brain tumors. And I can, well, you know, tell her a little bit more about this. But uh, Just, I guess the question is, uh, I know that it 
is a unique situation at St. Jude's is that researchers such as yourself and clinicians, I guess such as your husband, uh, work side by side. So you're working with, which is not always the case. They're separate, right? You have clinicians doing their work and researchers in another building doing theirs. But uh, so uh, having that collaborative relationship, how does that benefit the research and how does it benefit the patient? So, so maybe maybe I can I can uh, rephrase this. So, my husband is an MD PhD, and he and I actually did you know science and did research together. So, I was not we were not involved uh, necessarily with the clinician, but when I started to work uh, in brain tumors, this is when I started to work very closely with clinicians at St Jude because St Jude uh, at the time and still today uh, has a lot of have a lot of uh, children uh, with brain. Tumors which are treated here. And when I started, there was very little known about uh, brain tumors, really. And so um, I decided that this is what I wanted to do. Um, so we, um, because St. Jude had a lot of, of data uh, on those tumors, uh, we were able to develop uh, models, uh, animal models, that mimic the human disease, which we used then to, um, to go ahead and, and start uh, looking for new drugs. And at that time, I realized that once you have the drugs, you need to test them. And um, I wanted to work closely with clinicians because they helped me design all the preclinical trials, which are absolutely required, right, to move um, therapy to the clinic. And so I, as a basic scientist, I, I could never have been able to do this without uh, this close collaboration with clinicians. And I'm still working with them closely. And then we designed, which it's interesting because, the, you know, we, we treat the animals based on what uh, we would treat kids. And so um, that has been extremely successful um, um, adventure because um, the work we've done all together as a big group led to three ongoing clinical trials at St. Jude for, um, for brain tumors, particularly a cerebellar tumor, medulloblastoma. So, you know, this is very unique, and I don't think I would have been able to do this without um, a big group of people working together, um, and including clinicians, of course. Well, given that, so all the successes you've had over the past 50 years, how does that play out in in, in real life with these children who maybe were 20, 30 years ago diagnosed with brain tumors, and now today diagnosed with the same brain tumors, uh, given the research that you've done, how, you know... How does that? How are? What are the success rates? I guess for you know, for for cure. Yeah. So I was not um, uh, involved initially um, because, uh, as I told, as I said, it was you know only I, I started 15 years ago, and the three clinical trials are ongoing right now uh, for um, especially for for children with tumors that are the most aggressive because we decided being at St. Jude and having um, you know, enough resources, we would focus on the most aggressive forms of the, of the, tum- of the cancers, of the brain tumors. Um, so the, 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 the kids who have uh, tumors that are less aggressive are, are doing quite well with the uh, current therapy. Um, but what we focused on are um, tumors that are very aggressive and specifically for those that come back after treatment uh, for which there is really very little uh, to offer. 
And so the, 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 the two last uh, clinical, tr- pre- uh, clinical trials that are ongoing at Tanjud are based on work that we've done as a, as a, as a group, and it focuses specifically on um, recurrent tumors or tumors that come back uh, after treatment. So how much contact do you have with the, the parents or caregivers and, and the children, personal contact with Almost none. Uh, yeah. I think we are, you know, a little bit protected from this. Uh, but I did have uh, contact with uh, a couple um, who had uh, two uh, children, one of whom uh, had this uh, cerebral tumor medulloblastoma and, and um, passed away. And um, I was able to immortalize some of his tumor, which I've been doing for the last, you know, since 2012, uh, and they were very interested in knowing, you know, how, you know, what, how we, what we did with this tumor, and what was the success of, of uh, our our stories. And I have to say that this tumor was the first one I ever um, amplified and immortalized, and uh, it's been really the workhorse in the in our project. So, um, so I was very happy to actually talk to the parents and tell them that uh, we've not wasted their, you know, child tumor and that we were actually doing something meaningful. So that was very satisfying for me. I would imagine it would be, you know, I watch, obviously, I, I probably there's no one who hasn't seen the, the, uh, uh, commercials that are on for St. Jude's, and I'm always in tears by the end of the 30 seconds or 60 seconds, and Marlo Thomas, who does a lot of them, I guess. But anyway, yeah, yeah like I'm thinking working there would be, and uh, my background is social work, but still on an ongoing basis, that could be a real challenge to be able to get up and go to work there every day uh, and seeing these kids who are so sick, but uh, obviously the work you're doing is you know, so important. But as a woman, now let's get into that because there are differences. There's, but there's a lot of resistance for women, having women in science. There's a lot of bias. Uh, it's still here today. Uh, you know, female and male scientists, they have the same drive. They have the same passion, but let's face it, women are subject to implicit bias, not only in the sciences, but probably in other professions, definitely in other professions as well. So let's talk about that, like the the biases that you've had to deal with and how have you dealt with them? How have you overcome them, you know? Well, I don't think I've done very well. Um, you know, I'm not <laughs> I think you've done anymore. great. <laughs> I'm not young anymore. Um, so um, I was... I, I, I just, uh, I just, I think it was very difficult for me. Um, I mean, I was very happy to to work with my husband. Uh, we did extremely well. We were very successful together. But I realized that I was not, you know, going to be recognized for what I've done with him uh, if I don't, you know, work on my own. Which is, you know, which is a little bit disturbing because I don't see why, you know, you cannot uh, be a team. Uh, a team of scientists, right, and be successful. But anyway, so that's, you know, that's one of the bias, right? Uh, in a couple, there's always one who is considered, right, the, the left hand, if you will, or, you know, the follower as opposed to the driver. Uh, and it's true, it's true both ways, right? I mean, I have friends who are scientists, who are women, whose husband is, you know, is, is you know, is, is considered less, you know, less smart or whatever. Um, so this is, this is, you know, one of the bias. Uh, the other, which drives me crazy all the time, is that um, 
it's still today. I could be in a meeting and I propose an idea, right? And then there's silence, right? And then maybe five, ten minutes later, the same idea comes up from one of my male colleagues and um, it becomes, you know, a, a revelation suddenly. And um, this is where the bias is. And I think we need to to make uh, our male colleagues aware of this, right? Uh, so now I, I do it, but I have not done it for a long time. And I'm trying to teach my my trainees uh, in, as, as a mentor to tell them, you're going to have to speak up and you don't have to be nasty, but you have to speak up and tell them, right, that was my idea five minutes ago and make them aware that there's always a bias. Um, so it's still today, um, but I think we need to work on it. And we work, yeah, well, we I think what you're saying on. is, and I'm interrupting you, but I think that is yeah. key because, you know, I've talked to so many women. Uh, well, you're a scientist, but women in the boardroom, and, and, and they repeat exactly what you're talking about. They'll come up with, you know, there'll be one or two women, probably usually only one in yeah, the boardroom. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it comes up with an idea. And just as you say, five minutes later, uh, one of the men says the same thing and, and oh, then it's a great idea. So you have to say something, but it's not all. It's it, so when you mentoring your students or your, I, I guess you describe it as your postdocs. That's one of the main, one, one of the main. Right. Yeah, yeah, your students. Right, that's right. what you tell them. Yeah. So that. Uh, so, uh, it's a. Not a. Diff- well, it's I, a diff- I think. Yeah. 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 It's, it's difficult, but at the same same time, you know, we we have to to do something. We cannot just continue this. Um, and of course, it, they are intimidated because, right? They are afraid that you know, if they say something, they will be, they will be, you know, I mean, their their PI or their you know their mentor will not treat them properly. But um, I still think that we need to we need to be aware of it, and we need to be aware of the bias, and we need to think about it and try to see whether there's something we can do to, to change that. So um, how do you think and, Marie and one, Curie ever yeah. got her work done and got recognized? <laughs> well, she she got recognized. Uh, I don't know if she got recognized before she died or after she died. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, you know, she died very early, right? She was very young. She got she died of of, of leukemia because of exposure to to radiation, right? But what she yeah. did was was quite remarkable, if you think about it. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about that as you know, especially obviously in her time that she did get recognized, either before or after. Um, yeah. You talk about. You have a, a philosophy in working with people, and which includes collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> Who are you supposed to be collaborating with? <laughs> well, so maybe I can tell you uh, where this is coming from because I was influenced by um, my during my PhD. So when I was uh, in PhD training, um, I was working uh, my my project, which actually ended up in a nature paper, so it was not shabby, uh, was a collaboration between uh, between my laboratory, where I was as a PhD tra- trainee, with um, two other groups, one in the UK and one in Germany. And I realized that this is the way to do to to be a scientist. I mean, one needs to, you can't be in a vacuum and working, in, you know, in on your own anymore. Um, there are a lot of uh, uh, technical advances that go, you know, super fast. 
uh, and uh, there are a lot of um, disciplines that now, that now are you know are intersecting, right? So um, now I'm working, for example, with uh, immunologists. I work with uh, people in the bone marrow transplant. I work. Right. So, in other words, I work with lots of different people who have different expertise to try to, you know, make the advances faster than if I was by myself, you know, in a in my lab closing the the door. And this is what Saint Jude has been has done, you know, quite successfully, is to bring people together and to uh, to foster their, you know, the the collaboration and working together. Because you read about a lot. I mean, you're talking about St. Jude's. They do foster collaboration because, you know, the stuff the general public, including myself, we read about is, you know, the competition, you know, between scientists, among scientists, who's going to get the research done first. And, you know, uh, that's sort of what the media uh, talks about most of the time. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But do you think COVID has helped perhaps that collaboration, collaboration, collaboration kind of uh, goal because, you know, you know, everybody got sick, the whole world got sick, the, it's a pandemic, and so that it brings scientists together uh, rather than competing with one another? That's an interesting uh, idea that I have not thought about. I've thought about many things about COVID, <laughs> but not this one. Yeah. Um, I mean, it has not changed. I can speak for myself. It has not changed um, the way our groups have been uh, working together um, at all, uh, if anything, um, I mean, we still have the same meetings, right? It's just virtual instead of uh, together. Uh, I think it has prevented us from, from getting together and uh, chatting in the hallway, thinking about ideas, um, because when you are in your office or at home, right, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a, a very different feeling, right? The, the meeting is over and then you move on to the next thing, as opposed to spending time with people and um, discussing what happened during the meeting or the seminar, you know, in the so, um, so I think it has it has changed uh, our relationships, and I'm hoping that it will come back. Um, that we all come back together. Saint Jude is actually now um, and wants everybody to come back in uh, in uh, at Saint Jude, um, you know, physically. Uh, we are tested for COVID. Uh, many of us have been have been you know immunized now. So I am coming back to Saint Jude. I think I like to be with my people. I like to be talking to them, discussing experiments uh, with my colleagues as well, right? And it's, it's, it's a very different feeling when you do it on Zoom or WebEx. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that a lot of people are saying, oh, I, I go on Zoom, it's, it's, you know, it's easier, we get the work done, we're finished, you know, I don't have to travel, I'm not wasting time doing that, not wasting time chatting with people, but that's not really the case, as you're saying. <laughs> Ideas happen when you connect with people in person, right, not just virtually, it's not so structured. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I can give you an example, there's a, a new fellow who just came on board six months ago. And then uh, I said, I need to talk to you. And then we sat down in my office and we started to think about all kinds of things to do. And of course, we could have done it um, on Zoom, but there were no restriction of time, if you if you know what I mean. It was not, you know, a structured, you know, an hour and then you move on to the next thing. So it's very different. And um, And I'm just hoping that things will go back. You know, to not exactly to where we were. I think I think it's going to be a mix a mix of virtual 
and uh, and in-person uh, meetings now um, yeah. because there are meetings that can be virtual. There's nothing. There's no reason to meet for some of the meetings, <laughs> frankly. Uh, but for other meetings, I think you know, specifically in science, I think we need to we need to get together. Yeah, so you need some kind of a hybrid situation, which would probably yes. uh, most businesses will do, because it also saves money as well if you're not always having meetings in person and you're doing right. I mean, you get use that oh, money for absolutely. something else. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I'm very happy not to have to travel all the time, to be honest. Um, yeah. And um, but I mean, it's bad. But going to to the lab is is important for my for for my people specifically for the people who work who work with me right I mean I have to be present and I have to spend time with them I can't just disappear so so I'm back part <laughs> they of the have time to see, now yeah here you are right here you are <laughs> yeah exactly I mean they are working yeah. so why you know and then they don't know what I'm doing when I'm home so they like to have me to have me there which is good. So what's next for you? I mean, this is when you do go back to work, let's say, when, you know, when things are, you know, go back to St. Jude's and everybody's there and working in research. What's your next step? What are you, in, in terms of your research or your work? Well, the next step is pretty much the same. I mean, we still, there's still a lot to do. Um, there are still uh, tumors, brain tumors that, for which we have no therapies. So I've been working on other brain tumors that are, Super aggressive, which is which are called uh, rhabdoid tumors in the brain, uh, for which there is no uh, no treatment, I, I, basically nothing. And so, um, after working a lot with the cerebellar tumor medulloblastoma, I decided that it would be good to also uh, work on other uh, aggressive tumors. And so, for that, we are doing a lot of the sc- uh, screening. Um, a drug screen to to see whether we can find uh, new therapies, and that would be the basis for the next uh, clinical trials that will hopefully will be able to run at St. Jude. Um, I don't want to change. I just think that it's been extremely successful. Um, it took a while to get all this uh, started and and working. Um, I love to work with my colleagues, uh, with my lab. Um, and so I don't see I don't see this changing at least for the next maybe you know four or four or five years, and I'm sure that moving forward there's still going to be work to do, right? I mean we are we don't think about cure, right? I mean the idea is to is to make sure that kids get uh, get treated and can live a long life. You know we don't necessarily speak of cure, although some some of our patients are actually cured and, and live a long life which is remarkable because 50 years ago, 60 years ago when St. Jude was open, right, um, having a child with a brain tumor was a pretty dismal outcome. Yeah. So I'm, what I'm about not going to tumors? do something different. Yeah, go ahead. Do you, are you just going to continue, But which obviously yeah. is a great. But what are these tum- tumors that develop in children, are they usually present in utero or is there any connection between, you know, when they are during the gestation period, I don't know. I've always been curious about that, or they develop afterwards, or I'm sure that that yeah, that's my question. Yeah, that's a that's a very difficult question to answer because obviously we're not going to be able to do this in a in a, in in people. But um, yeah, so the reason why um, 
at least one of the reasons why medulloblastoma, which is a cerebellar tumor, is, is a pediatric tumor is because the, that structure, which is in the back of your brain, develops after, mainly after, um, after you're born. And, uh, and the, 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 the neurons, if you make, you know, thousands and billions of, I mean, yeah, millions of neurons in that structure. You have more neurons in that structure than in the rest of your brain. And, this, and the cells divide extremely rapidly, and so any mistake has to be repaired. And so what is thought is that at least after birth, a lot of the mistake can be done because there's a defect in the repair, repair mechanism, right, for example. Or something catastrophic happens, and then it can be fixed, right? All the cells are not dying, and so they just keep going. But there is evidence. We have evidence uh, that uh, it's possible that it's doing embryogenesis because we've been doing, we've been um, challenging um, neuronal cells, uh, progenitors, um, early during uh, gestation in the mouse, and uh, we showed that if we did that, the tumor would would occur very very early after the mice are born. So there's no question that there must be some um, same event, some catastrophic event, something unexpected that happens during embryogenesis. And now when, is, when does it happen, you know, in, in, in people, right? This is something, it's a question that I don't think anybody has answered, right? But you can at least do experiments to try to see, to try to address this question. And some of the experiments that we've done showed, or at least um, suggested, that there may be um, there may be some um, some catastrophic event that can happen during embryogenesis or during gestation. Well, for more that's uh, thank you for that answer. And I we have a couple minutes left, and uh, yes. to continue uh, to get more information from you, uh, which is fascinating. Uh, I could you please give us you know website and or websites we can go to to, ex- yeah. Uh, from, yeah. Well, yeah. Sure. So it's uh, slash mocell and you should be able to find my website. Uh, you should have uh, able to see all the people who trained in in you know in our lab. You know, my husband and I, and uh, also information about you know uh, publications. But I'm happy to. To also um, have people, you know, reach me by email if if they if they wish to do so. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. It was great talking to Thank you. you. Uh, yeah, we appreciate <laughs> it. We appreciate all the information. And we've been talking to Dr. Martine Roussel, PhD, and she's at St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 